We've been talking about your favorite board games tonight because um, now we're about to talk about the inductees into the 2022 Toy Hall of Fame, none of which, by the way, of the three this year are board games. But I was curious about board games because there are a lot of board games in the Hall of Fame already. They include the obvious ones like checkers and chess. They include very popular ones such as Monopoly, which was uh, inducted way back in 1998, the first year that this was done, as well as Risk, Dungeons and Dragons, uh, The Game of Life. Um, there are some others in there that I'm forgetting forgetting as well. I'll go back. Candyland, which is what I'd actually never heard of. Can you imagine that? I don't know why. It was just one of those games. I said, Candyland, what could that be? And it's in the Toy Hall of Fame. And I really didn't know it, which is... Uh, seemed odd but if someone else out there knows maybe i was just one of those gaps you know you have those gaps in your knowledge and you just something's out there that you've never heard of um twister of course clue of course and risk clue was a game i loved as i used to play clue by myself which is you know only children are strange creatures it was ridiculous to play clue by yourself because of course you knew who did it right <laughs> but i'd still play it by myself just for the fun of going through the game that's how much i loved clue as a kid um as well go figure <laughs> go figure um yeah so the toy hall of fame this year um there is something that is thousands of years old which is fascinating and there's something which was a very bright idea come up that was come up with in the late 60s have a listen Light Bright, the toy that lets you create beautiful pictures with light. Work with colorful pegs that glow with light. Light bulb not included. Make people, animals, things. And with refills, Bugs Bunny or Bozo the Clown. You can make lots of pretty pictures with Light Bright from Hasbro. Oh, I love those commercials. Well, wow, back in the 70s, that reminds me of Saturday morning in front of the TV. When I was only at, when I was at my grandmother's house, my mom's mom, because they had cable, color, and sugary cereal. Other than that, it was, you know, it wasn't great. <laughs> it was black and white and uh, a limited edition, a limited supply of cartoons. But those mornings, those Lightbright commercials, I love. I thought Lightbright was the most amazing thing. So it's the it's in this year. It's inducted along with Masters of the Universe, an 80s one, of course, and the top the spinning top has also been inducted. It was chosen amongst a whole slew of contenders. People nominate these things, right? They go through them, pick them out. Uh, the ones that didn't get picked this year but made the finals were Bingo, uh, Nerf, the Pinata, Pound Puppies, and the Spirograph. Remember the Spirograph? That was a pretty cool thing, too, if you're more of an analog person like I am. Uh, those are the ones that didn't make it. Good luck to some of them next year. But with more on how this all works, some of the other games that are in there, what makes a classic game, how do they get into the Hall of Fame? Joining me now is Chris Bench. He's the chief curator at the Strong National Museum of Play in Rochester, New York. Thanks for your time. Great to be with you. It's always fascinating to see which inductees uh, make it into the uh, into the Hall of Fame. <laughs> this year's are some very familiar ones, but one of them is as a, about as old as a toy can get, isn't it? It is. Uh, people were playing with this in caves. I am confident. <laughs> so, the, tell me about the top. Why? Why the top this year? And uh, there's a fascinating history also about the top um, as part of its as part of its write up for why it was inducted. You know, of 
the 12 finalists this year, the top was the one that people kind of gave me a dope slap when they heard that it wasn't already with the other classic toys in the National Toy Hall of Fame. It's been around for more than 5,000 years in cultures all over the world, Europe, Asia, America, North and South America. It has such depth of use in different forms and different materials, so much play over the years. It is one of those toys that you could quite literally pull out anywhere in the world and someone would know exactly what to do with it. Except on the U.S. Today show where the hosts tried to play with one last week (laughs) and had a total fail. (laughs) I guess people need some reminders. We we live in two. You can't. I guess you can't spin a top, learn how to spin a top on your phone. Right. So that's the problem. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Light Bright is an interesting one. I remember as a child uh, in the 70s. Lightbright to me was sort of this is pre video games really, but Lightbright was sort of the the pinnacle of high tech at a certain time. It really is a fascinating toy. It is. It came out about the same time as the Easy Bake Oven, two light bulb based toys at the same time. You cooked with the Easy Bake Oven, and with the Lightbright, you had sort of backlit glowing pegs that you could turn into all sorts of illustrations. The light bright, what I found interesting in your write-up, though, is that the light bright did harken back to a long history of mosaic building and so on. The The concept behind it was was as old as the hills, so to speak, even though the technology was new at the time. If you think of it also as backlighting the same way you do with stained glass, with colors and light refracting through that. What I love is if you go on YouTube now, people are using it as a really simple stop motion animation technique it's basically you're playing with pixels and you can do really elemental kinds of scenes that with stop motion animation gives you a really sort of funky 8-bit effect it does is that part of the what makes a toy worthy of the hall of fame is that it does need to have a certain staying power within the culture i mean there's so many toys that are that are that are novelties and popular when they're popular but don't have a long shelf life, but the ones that you pick seem to, or that are picked, seem to have um, have evolved as well. That's right. And we really require a baseline of a toy that has to be on the market 20 years continuously. So we're envisioning a toy that's been out there so long that kids and their parents could have both grown up playing with it. But many of these have much longer trajectories for them. Yeah, one of them that came out this year was one that's a little uh, past my time, uh, Masters of the Universe. He-Man, was I was already a teen, I guess, by the time that came out. What I found really interesting about that one was that, uh, unlike so many other toys that are built around other products like comic books or films, this was actually a toy that launched the whole franchise. Mattel was brilliant, and they swooped in in a perfect moment when regulations on what children could have presented to them on especially Saturday morning cartoons had gotten loosened up in the United States, and they saw an opportunity to essentially build a story, and they had already built a backstory around He-Man, the whole Masters of the Universe constellation of characters. So they basically fleshed that out. Uh, It received criticism at the time that it was basically a feature-length ad for their products, but they worked around that. And, you know, 
Masters of the Universe and He-Man are back on TV now in streaming formats. It seems, you're right, at the time it was heavily criticized, although if you look at something like uh, the Smurfs or Stumpf, as they were called in French, it was essentially the same kind of concept where where you had this this toy line that then became these books. I guess it might have been the other way around, but it wasn't unheard of. It just hadn't been seen much. Right. And it was done in depth and it became really one of the operating modes of that period in the 1980s with other characters like Rainbow Bright and Strawberry Shortcake and the Care Bears. They were all part of that kind of dynamic in the marketplace and in media. What do you think uh, when you look at the long list of, and I was looking at the long list of toys that have been inducted, and it's funny because sometimes the order of them seems Strange, like I, I would have thought maybe, um, you know, playing cards would have gone in before Atari, right? But how does that work? How does that work? I guess they're nominated, right? They are nominated. So every year we take nominations. Uh, your listeners can nominate right now on our website, museumofplay.org, because we are already taking nominations for next November's induction into the Hall of Fame. This year we had nominations for 325 different toys. Wow. People sometimes start up sort of grassroots campaigns to really fill our ballot box with votes for their favorite toy what um what are some of the ones that um when you look at at, at the at the past some of the ones i found fascinating were the ones that were that were so iconic that you would think they would have been part of you know the class the, the the initial class the teddy bear for instance right that was that was but you also picked ones that that don't strike people as toys like sand or the blanket right. you know these are quintessential toy things but we don't think of them as toys that first started for us in 2005 when we inducted the cardboard box. Wow. And that year I went to Toy Fair, the big trade show that happens in New York City. And I thought, you know, these people are going to burn me in effigy because here we are promoting cardboard boxes. They spend their lifetimes and their livelihoods devoted to creating manufactured toys. And what I found was even at that trade show, people came up to us and said, oh, I remember when the neighbors got a refrigerator and that box was the best thing all summer long in our backyard. Those kinds of creative play, open-ended play are so wonderful to have an opportunity to celebrate and promote. Yeah, it's just the whole notion that we play with what's available, right? It is. And that's one of the other things that we try to be mindful of is that kids mash up toys together. What manufacturers think is going to be the official, quote, way to play with toys is not how kids do it. Uh, Barbie can be a friend with Yoda or have totally out of proportion pets or things like that. So it is something that kids put together in their heads and in their lives that is hard for me as a curator to capture. But what we do here with the more than half a million items in the Strong Museum's collection is really document the tools that kids and grownups use for play. Yeah, my Star Wars action figures all played hockey against my tabletop hockey players <laughs> back in the day. Of course, yeah, that's that's the way kids are. They don't have those boundaries, right? It's not... Right. Uh... And what I would love, uh, it probably didn't happen back then, is now since all of us walk around with really good cameras in our hands, in our pockets, in our purses, that 
parents today could capture that kind of play and share it with us here at the museum, where my frugal parents who made a roll of film last half a year never <laughs> documented those kinds of impromptu fun that happens in homes. Yeah, there wasn't much of that, was there? I guess a kid playing with a toy was not considered to be a, a photographic moment back in the day. It was more the family portrait or the or the vacation, right? That was the uh, right, right. That was and there was, was no Instagram or or Facebook to share it on. True. I noticed that one of my favorite childhood toys isn't in there yet. Nerf. Because Nerf was revolutionary when it came out. I mean, most kids couldn't lob a football, right? They were too big, too heavy. And then, yet Nerf came along and all of a sudden the whole world opened up. It did. And Nerf was a fourth time finalist this year. So it has obviously what it takes to get into the Hall of Fame. It's got longevity. It's got icon status. Everyone can recognize it. And third, as you really point out, it has great play value. Any other ones that are sort of on the cusp of the uh, the Susan Lucci, so to speak, of the uh, <laughs> of the of the toy of the toy Hall of Fame induction? You know, Nerf was the one uh, that didn't get selected this year that's been a finalist the most times. For a long while, it was the Magic 8-Ball. And right. we kept having a running joke of Magic 8-Ball, are you going to get in next year? And asking it that question. <laughs> that's a good one. Um, so if people are interested in submitting a suggestion, they can go to your website, obviously. And then and then, how does it work? What are the criteria for, for what you select each each year? So last year, we had about 2,500 nominations. The year before that, I think when people were under lockdown restrictions and had way more screen and keyboard time than they should have, we heard from more than 40,000 people. Wow, that's a lot of nominations. It was. And since I tabulate those manually, I kind of thought my eyeballs were going to drop out as I worked on my Excel spreadsheet. You tabulate those those manually? Yes, because... We basically allow free entry. We let you type in whatever you want. And if you misspell something or you call it trucks by Tonka instead of Tonka trucks, I've got to make sure that I know that both of those are actually the same thing. So I guess hats off this year to uh, Masters of the Universe, The Top, and uh, and Lightbright. So those were some great selections. Uh, Again, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure being with you.